Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. It's time for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and so happy that you could join us for our show today. Uh, You know, it's interesting. It was several weeks ago that I connected with uh, one of our panelists for today, the AJC education writer, Maureen Downey, who's here with us. Uh, She, of course, writes the Get Schooled uh, column for the AJC, which keeps us on top of schools in a way that nobody else in in town is doing. And Maureen, you and I talked about this show several weeks ago, set today as the date to do it, and uh, brought in the rest of the panel, who I'll introduce, and then we'll say why our timing couldn't have been better. Your colleague, Jim Galloway, of course, is here. It's Monday. He's here on Mondays and Fridays. Jim writes his column in Wednesdays and Sundays paper and oversees the Political Insider blog. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Next to you, Mary Margaret Oliver, state representative from Decatur, back with us. Hi, Mary Margaret. Good afternoon. Thanks for being here. And Jared Apperson. He is um, an associate professor of uh, economics at Spelman. But Jared, we're really glad you could join us because you have a specialty in studying the very topic we're going to talk about on the show today. Are we ready to do this? All right. As I said, Maureen, we picked this date weeks ago. No sooner uh, were we getting set to come in the studio when the news broke. We're talking about education in Georgia, and the Atlanta School Board has just decided they will not renew the contract of their superintendent, Maria Karstarfin. What is that all about? You know, it's, it's a complicated story and one that I think um, so played out faster than we thought. Uh, Dr. Kostarfin, I thought, I think brings many strengths to her job as leading Atlanta Public Schools. She also brings a lot of passion. She is apparently a tough boss, uh, can be demanding, can be abrupt. I think that what happened is she sort of crossed swords with individual school board members on a variety of issues, and it all came to a head today. And they went behind closed doors for three hours and I think surprised many people, not only in Georgia, but around the country. I'm getting uh, emails from folks saying that she'll be snapped up immediately. And they voted not to extend her contract, which derails you know, several years of intense reforms and puts the question out there, what happens next? She embraced charter schools. She brought in management companies to take over the uh, toughest, uh, toughest schools in Atlanta. Uh, so it throws all of that to the wind at this point. It's almost as if APS will start over. And Mary Margaret, we have to remember the fact that Mar- she came in when, when, the AP- when APS was really struggling because we'd just gone through this tremendous scandal, the test scandal. Uh, we lost uh, a superintendent over that. The woman who was brought in at that time, uh, when did Beverly, when did she come in to, to, to take over the system? I mean, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, more than that? Who, who, Hall, Dr. Hall? Dr. Hall. Yeah, I think that was more like 12 years ago. Okay. And then and I remember Earl Davis stepped in as yeah, the... Yeah, interim. He was interim. supposed to be interim. Right. But the point is, Mary Margaret, APS back in the hunt for a superintendent struggling to figure out what its destiny is going to be. Even though I had some very hard, hard experiences with Maria in relation to the annexation issue of Emory into, and all that's in litigation, all that's a mess, and I can be critical of her and that, I was really surprised that they moved as quickly and... Um, and that the information is is kind of a mess today, uh, as I was listening to interviews driving over here. She has made the system improve, uh, whether it's her personality, whether it's the team, whether it's uh, the resources that were brought in. I think the system is probably better today than it was when she took over. Um, so I'm also reflecting on the fact that DeKalb School Board is not renewing Steve Green's, uh, which I was very unhappy about that decision. You cannot have this kind of inconsistent leadership in these major school systems and expect to have ongoing good results, in my view. Steve Green had a, a lovely personality, was in no way confrontational, in no way did he have any um, 
of the kind of things you heard about Maria, but he had his head down working very hard and improving the system. So you have these two superintendents of major school systems. We have over 100,000 children in the camp. Uh, today who are essentially lame dog and leaderless. Uh, Jim, we should point out that before, I mean, we knew for a while that she was in some trouble. We knew that APS was going to vote, the the board would take a vote on this. It wasn't certain what the outcome uh, that it would lead to this today. She had some heavy firepower, uh, political firepower come in on her behalf in the last couple of weeks. What's interesting right now in in, in the report you you can see on AJC.com is that supposedly this decision was reached in July and then they put it off for two months, which gave Karstarfen uh, kind of two months to kind of to, to kind of uh, marshal uh, yeah. to, to marshal those those troops. And, and the other part of this is what's in, uh, another thing that's interesting here. This is this is a decision by inaction, which means you don't know who that we we don't know who were the board members standing up against her. Yeah, uh, and we may not ever know that because the, it, it, action was required to renew. And by not acting, that that was a decision as well. I said there was firepower. Um, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Marima John Lewis, Shirley Franklin, Roy Barnes, Roy Barnes, Sam and Massell, Sam Massell, Andrew Young, Andrew, Andrew, Andy Young, all right. said this woman is doing a good job, and yet it didn't change what happened today at uh, the school board meeting. Jared, I, I, <laughs> you know, every now and then I do these really kind of convoluted openings for the show, and <laughs> I think today was kind of one of them in the sense that I was kind of holding off saying what we were talking about uh, because I wanted to say, wow, we're on top of breaking news. Let's be clear. One of the reasons you're here today is that you have become a data cruncher extraordinaire when it comes to what's happening, especially in the Atlanta public school systems. But I think you can, by extension, help us understand what's going on across the state as well, yes? Yeah. So um, looking at the Atlanta public schools is kind of something that I took personal interest in living in Atlanta. And um, I think in coming to this decision, I think that I would echo what Maureen was saying that I think that all of there's the nine different stakeholders on the board are eight right now with the vacant seat. And I think they all have different reasons. Some of those reasons are that they don't see the progress as fast enough. For others, it's more that it's personal. And for others, it's a political or a, a policy disagreement around how we should go about this work. Um, but I think my overall take on what's happened under Karstarfen's tenure is that things have improved a bit. It's not some of the big headline fireworks that we sometimes get out of the APS press office, but things have improved a bit. And I think that coming to um, to Mary Margaret's point, there seems to be an expectation on superintendents that there is more fireworks. And if, if a Steve Green or a Maria Karstarfin is not changing things fast enough, then districts around the country are saying we need to kick them to the curb. Yeah. One of the things that frustrates me, makes me very sad, is that neither the state leadership nor the local leadership is is focusing enough, in my view, on the enormous rate of child poverty in Georgia. Of the eight most of the 10 largest populated states in the United States of America, Georgia has the highest child poverty rate. That toxicity of poverty is something that is incredibly difficult to overcome. We know how bad the statistics are in Atlanta for only 4%, it's alleged. Children leave extreme poverty and move into the middle class. We have to be more realistic about those numbers. And as I look at the school district schools in my house district, which are City of Decatur, DeKalb, and the City of Atlanta, arguably, based on on whatever court order, they're the best schools around. Uh, My constituents go to Westchester and Claremont in Decatur. They go to Fernbank, Oak Grove, and Sagamore in DeKalb, and then Spark and Morningside, except there's Montclair Elementary School on the edge of my district in Brookhaven. Uh, Brookhaven is a wealthy up-and-coming city, but Montclair is a an international population of poor children, very poor children, and the emphasis and study on Montclair Elementary and helping it move forward 
uh, is what I watch closely because I know how difficult that obstacle is. Well, thank you for what I think is a starting point for looking at the system. The state schools in the broadest way, sort of the 50,000-foot level, and you've done that, Mary Margaret, because the number one question, I think, Maureen, is we've had governor after governor, a succession of governors, you know, Mary Margaret's been there to see them all, come up with school reform plans, the next governor comes along, throws out the previous governors, but the one key, I think it's safe to say, that nobody has been able to tackle, Nathan Deal said he was going to take it on and then couldn't get the political uh, backing he needed, is how we fund the schools. Like the Montclairs, we have an inequitable system. S- poor schools don't have the tax base. And the quality basic education funding formula passed in the mid-80s is outdated, and everybody knows it needs to be changed. Yes? Yes, th- all that's true. The problem is that we've had seven Blue Ribbon uh, Commission's task forces look at uh, school funding, how to make it better, how to harness the dollars to school improvement, and they all quietly disappear yeah. uh, because, in most cases, they say you need more money for, for poverty for kids in poverty. And that is, that's a hard argument to sell because one thing I've learned covering schools is I don't care if your kid goes to the best public school in the state, you still think your kid deserves more, needs more. More money for the arts program, you know, uh, um, uh, calculus, uh, AP calculus teachers. So it's very hard to tell parents, we want to take some of this tax money that is feeding your community and bring it over here. And I think politicians are hesitant to do that. I also think it uh, will take a lot of money. So rather than the last commission we had came up with, they were supposed to define uh, school spending by, by the kind of student. And apparently they found out that it would cost a lot of money to actually give each kid what they needed to, to succeed. So they came up with flexibility instead. Flexibility, of course, does not pay for school buses. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't pay for, for you know, HVAC up, you know, upkeep. It doesn't, it doesn't pay for so much. And I think that at this point, Georgia has to have a, you know, sort of some truth-telling. Yeah, Jim, let's be clear uh, for our listeners what quality-based education is all about and what the big problem here is. You, you, if you live in the city of Atlanta, um, the chances are, well, if, if, go ahead. Let's take Cobb County. Okay, you're right. Example. Cobb's okay. a better way to start. Okay, you take Cobb County and, 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 and its tax base, and some of it, Cobb's money goes into the pool that is sent down to South Georgia for this school or that school. And of course, anytime you're renegotiating, you're, re, you're renegotiating how, how much money will be taken from richer school systems and which will be go, going to right. the poorer school so systems. So if I want to buy a house in Cobb County, if I'm moving into the area, I one of the reasons I choose Cobb is because I'm told they have some of the best schools in the state. Oh, by the way, because they're such good schools, you're going to pay a little more in property tax or maybe a lot more in property tax um, than for the, to support those schools. Then you're told, by the way, some of that tax money isn't going to go to your kid's school. It's going to be sent to a South Georgia district where they're really struggling to survive. And, and, and it's exacerbated in many areas in, in rural Georgia, especially uh, where you have these large tracts of, of, forest, of forest land, because the timber industry has been so adept at getting tax breaks and getting, uh, getting, getting land uh, exempted from the tax rolls. But Cobb County also, the people over 65, is that the 62, 62, pay no school taxes, regardless of their income. So they gave that huge tax break to that population a long time ago. Yes, but the general problem is is just that, is it not? Send, having to find a formula that will allow richer school systems to help subsidize the poorer ones? Yeah. Yes, and uh, I, in, I compare... I have houses in Fannin County, I have houses, uh, probably City of Decatur. I compare those two school districts. They're the same size in terms of children, same number of elementary school. They're typical of Georgia's 180 school districts. There's four elementary schools, a middle school, and a high school. I think Decatur has more elementary schools now. But the difference of money that's spent in the City of Decatur, which I think spends even on some days more than Atlanta does on its children, compared to Fannin County, I'm saying Fannin County, is pretty dramatic. And a third more of Fannin County is National Forest, even though there's some, you know, retirement people that have second homes like me and 
that's the only economy of Fannin County now, is, is this, the, the tourist economy. Yeah, um, uh, Mary Margaret, Jared, and, and Maureen, let me ask a, a question. We, had, we went through a number of years during the deal, deal administration where first he wanted a constitutional amendment to permit the state takeover of schools. Uh, he ended up by getting, getting get, uh, that, that lost. He, he, he ended up getting legisla- legislation that would allow him to target a few th- things. Do we have any sense of of whether Brian Kemp is going to carry that on? Because I'm 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 not sure that any 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 state school any local school system was ever taken over. Yeah, my my understanding is that the um, state turnaround officer is still a sort of isolated little office. It is not connected well with the Department of Education. And if I were a betting woman, I would say that that office may not exist in its current form. In, in a year or so. I think it's, it, it, that was something that Nathan Deal wanted. I don't think Brian Kemp, Kemp has any personal interest in it. It's not well funded. I think it's too small to do anything in, in great depth. And it's only working with a few school districts for the most part in South Georgia. Uh, and so that's Eric Thomas. That's our state turnaround officer. I don't think most people even know uh, who he is. So Deal invested a lot after the Opportunity School District was defeated by voters into getting something, and I'm not sure what he got was worth his time, to be honest. Jared? Well, one thing he got that, uh, coming back to APS, is he got Maria Carstarfin to do some of these um, partnerships that may in the end have been a bit of her undoing. Partnerships um, with? Partnerships with other um, nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So um, there's three that they've partnered with in Atlanta Public Schools at six different school campuses to basically do a takeover of that school campus and manage it separate from the school district, which was the original idea behind what um, Nathan Deal's plan was going to try to do statewide. Okay, let me let's keep kind of looking at the uh, 50,000 foot level. We know funding's a problem across the state, at least equitable funding is. Um, Jared, you've got some numbers that tell us a bit about uh, teacher uh, retention, particular teacher pay, teacher retention. Governor Kemp campaigned on a promise to give every teacher in the state a $5,000 raise. He's made good on almost a half, about a half of that at this point. He's still got a ways to go. What problem is he struggling with? And what are the likelihood do we think that that raise will turn things around? So I think teacher pay is a huge problem right now in Georgia. Um, And this this has been framed at a raise as a raise, and it is an increase. But um, as economists, we talk about nominal wages and real wages. So what's the number on your paycheck? And what can you go buy at the grocery store once you cash your paycheck? Teachers have, in nominal wages up until now, not had hardly any increase for more than 10 years. So we've talked about every year um, a 2% inflation. So they're only, they only can buy 80 cents on the dollar of what they could back in 2009. Well, he's kind of closed a little bit of that gap, brought them up to 90 cents on the dollar. But we're still talking about, in real terms, teachers are not being compensated, even what they were in 2009. And so these raises are just a part of bringing us back to where we were in 2009, but they haven't moved us forward in the sense that we need to be raising teachers' pay beyond other professions if our goal is to try to attract the yeah. most talented people to and, the field. And the state is struggling with retention. Different districts are really struggling with retention, aren't they, Maureen? Well, this is the kind of economy that young people have other options. And I think that teaching, uh, because of all the bad press, and remember only a few years ago, Georgia surveyed its own teachers, would you recommend this job? And most of them said no. So I think that um, we have to figure out a way not only to entice um, to, to entice teachers, but we have to look at these specialized mm-hmm. teachers. The people we're not getting, for the most part, are very strong science and math teachers. Uh, also, we, a special ed, because it's a very, very demanding field in foreign language. And so uh, that's where we have to figure out how to get not just people into teaching, but people to pick these these areas that are, that, that are tough. I, I want to go back to one point that Dar- Jared brought up, because I think it's really key in understanding Brian Kemp and our current, where we're going. Uh, 
Governor Deal believed that outside forces needed to come in to improve schools, and he saw that through the Opportunity School District. Voters disagreed. Brian Kemp feels the same way. Uh, he and a lot of his colleagues in the legislature, what they want to do is simply, I always say they don't want to fix schools, they want to just create exit ramp at, you know, out, out of schools. So we saw a big push this year to where, where many legislators would get up and say that the local schools aren't good, parents should be able to go somewhere else. And that does concern me because I think we are at the position point where we need to give our schools what they need and not abandon them. And Brian Kemp has come out in favor of what we call the voucher bill. They called an education savings account. But frankly, it was vouchers. No one likes the word voucher, so we have to give them uh, pretend names. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm afraid that is the direction we're going in uh, right now. Which means what? Uh, it means that you can uh, you can say that my child, uh, you know, it would cost Atlanta thirteen thousand to educate my child. I want the state to give me that thirteen thousand, right. and I want to see if my child can get into, uh, you know, Padilla or uh, yeah. Westminster or a local church school. And the problem with that is that the thirteen thousand they take. Uh, affects more than just that one child. Sure. Suddenly, the heating bills, is, right? You know, all these, all these, you know, shared cost. Jim, uh, vouchers, whatever you call them, tax credits, has been one of the hottest issues under the gold dome. Yes, but as you get, as you, as 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 kind of uh, suburban Atlantans kind of assert themselves. You know, they're they're not terribly popular with in 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 places uh, like Gwinnett, like Cobb, uh, and uh, with well-established school systems because they know where the money's going. Uh, Mary Margaret, one question I've got is: Okay, uh, the governor has 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 asked for four percent, and then what six percent cuts to the state budget? Uh, are school is school spending aside from aside from teacher teacher pay? Is school spending affected? I don't think we know yet <clears throat> what his plan is, and since he's not allowing the agency heads to talk to the House and Senate budget members next week, I don't know when we're going to know. I think that student growth is excluded, though. I mean, the how many children show up for school is a mm-hmm. big supplemental budget issue. I think that's excluded. I'm uh, Georgia has not passed a voucher bill, in part because we passed the in my view, bad Earl Earhart scholars. We we send a hundred million dollars to private schools now, right? Based on um, that trajectory each year, so I don't anticipate that vouchers could. It, they're not popular. Again, in, in my school districts, again, the elementary schools and high schools where my constituents are happy to send their children for the most part. Uh, are not going to support. Okay, a voucher. again, my role is to make sure I'm hearing this correctly. Uh, we don't have vouchers, but we're sending $100 million. To the Earl Earhart Scholarship <laughs> Program. Which is what? Just make sure our listeners get, get where we're at right now. You get a tax credit. It's a credit. Yeah, credit. Dollar for dollar. Credit. Okay. Dollar for dollar credit to these, uh, I don't want to say anonymous, to these nonprofit scholarship right. entities right. that then send money to private schools. Thank Westminster, you. Padilla. Right. Uh, very fancy schools get lots and lots of and money, we, we, but but vouchers, vouchers, uh, vouchers have been vouchers are a Republican primary issue. Sure, right. and as as we as as we move more toward a, a a state that's governed by a general election, by a November general election, they become less and less popular. Let's not forget that that hundred million dollars uh, sent off to private schools became a big issue in the governor's race last year, oh, Jim yes. Galloway, yeah. when Casey Cagle acknowledged on tape, unfortunately for him, that he it didn't support idea. it, that it was a bad idea, but he had to support it. And uh, that uh, leaked out uh, thanks to one of his opponents. <laughs> so yeah, it was an issue his, in the race. His, his, uh, his, the chairman of, his, of his, his state education committee, that was Lindsey Tippins, yeah. he, he was dead set against it for the very reason that it that it drew money away from public schools. Okay, this is a great start. What I would love to do is let's get our first break of the show out of the way. When we come back, let's talk about Common Core. Governor Kemp has promised, he promised throughout the campaign, he's now enact, acting on it, to uh, get rid of Common Core, dismantle it here. Let's talk about what is Common Core, why is he trying to get rid of it, what has it accomplished, all of that uh, when we come back with more Political Rewind. GPB's Fall Fun Drive is right around the corner, but don't wait to do your part. Your support now at gpb.org will give the campaign a head start and help keep the programs you enjoy coming to you on GPB. 
You'll also have a chance to win a getaway for two at the King and Prince Beach and Golf Resort on St. Simons Island with oceanfront accommodations for three nights. Our thanks to the King and Prince for this opportunity and thanks for your support now at gpb.org. In Indiana, mental health needs were skyrocketing at the same time there was a chronic shortage of providers. One Indiana Medical Center, though, has found a workaround. Good morning, doctor. How are you doing today? Telepsychiatry. In my opinion, that's life-saving. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org or ask your smart speaker to play GPB. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Tom Faust just sent me the statement from APS from the school board about uh, Karstarfens being dismissed, essentially. Uh, They say her efforts, she's made improvements, they say, uh, uh, but there are still many challenges ahead. It's critical that APS superintendent works in a spirit of continuous collaboration. There, Jared, is kind of one of the things we're talking about, that she was a tough boss. She was tough to work with. So that's reflected in that statement. Uh, and she has to work with the community to address obstacles that keep students, he or she, uh, from reaching their f- full potential. The decision not to offer her a fourth contract extension was difficult. Um, so they're acknowledging what you've talked about, which is she was tough. Yeah, and I think that um, the... I see where they're coming from with that. I think that if all, if everyone on the board was kind of on the same page, that this is our one reason why we're getting rid of her and we have a shared vision for where we're headed, yeah, that would be one place. But I think, unfortunately, with everyone getting rid of her for different reasons, it's going to be challenging to bring in a new leader and say, we want you to lead us, but we don't know where we want yeah, to go. Right, exactly. Maureen, let's move on to this uh, question of Common Core. Um, why does Governor Kim, well, I'm not sure how to ask this. Governor Kim says he has to dismantle Common Core. Why? Because I think that he believes the people who voted for him care about that. It's it's an old topic. I'm not sure why he, I, I'm sort of stunned he's dragging this out of the closet and dusting it off. <laughs> You know, because we're sort of done with this. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Georgia embraced Common Core because our governor uh, back then, Sonny Perdue, was one of the architects. Uh, we fell into line, and we actually, though, then then when it became a political football because Barack Obama also embraced it down the line. And as as um, I read in Jim Galloway's column a few years ago, um, uh, our governor thought that was the taint that tainted it and sort of yeah. ruined it. Is it Galloway Common Core? came out of a conference of state governors. Sonny Perdue was the co-chair of this conference, right? It was an effort not to set a curriculum, but to establish some benchmarks, standards, by which you could compare progress among students at the same grade level across the country. Right, and 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 the and one of the drivers of it was our uh, the Georgia's attempt to keep military installations within the state because as because uh, military people move around a lot, yeah. you know, and if you take a a kid from California and put him in Georgia, you kind of sort of want to want Georgia and California to be in the same place in the fifth grade at the same time. So you're, you're not having to, 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 you're not losing a kid who may be behind and you're not, you're not making a kid take the same, same, uh, uh, same course uh, uh, one, one year later. So, but Mary Margaret, the turning point, Maureen really basically uh, said it, was when President Obama put on top of Common Core what was it? Race to the top to was the top. that it? Which was a which was a financial incentive for schools to make marked progress through Common Core measurements, and they would they would get they would get rewarded financially. And suddenly, Common Core became a Democratic president's effort to take over the schools of the country. I would love to have been a fly <laughs> on the wall to figure out who was saying what to Brian Kemp that convinced him that this was a smart. Idea. Well, Cody Hall, his uh, uh, spokesman, will be here tomorrow. He can t- tell us about that, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, Brian Kemp, other than the pay raise uh, for teachers, I don't think has an educational agenda. I haven't seen any evidence of an educational agenda. 
Um, we know that the pay raises that Zell Miller gave to teachers, 6% per year, raising it 24% in the mid-90s. At the same time, he was creating the Hope Scholarship and the pre-K program with lottery money, had an educational agenda. But the pay raises for teachers in the 90s, I would be very interested in what the economists said that really did for Georgia's education program. What the $5,000 pay raise this year is going to do is... So Common Core is a diversion. Uh, The governor is imitating the president. This is my view. This is something he shared with me that, you know, you divert you divert the conversation. And my school districts implemented Common Core. Everybody did four or five years ago. It's a, They changed the name of it, of course, to Performance Standards, and they're moving forward. Now, what is typically true, and this is what I don't know, and Maureen, Jared might know, uh, was there a planned five-year review of the performance anyway, or to whatever extent Georgia implemented the curriculum sort of looking a little bit like Common Core? Did they anticipate reviewing it anyway? Let me recalibrate that just a bit. And and that's this, Jared. You're the data guy. Do we have anything? I I went searching to see where I could find uh, stories that would tell me that Common Core has had an impact. And they're not, you can't find, they're fairly... There's not much, no, yeah. No, there's nothing. <laughs> um, so I have a couple of points on that. I want to first just point out for listeners who may not know what Common Core is, an example of one standard. Yeah. So for third grade math, a standard, um, students should be able to solve two-step word problems with addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. So we're not talking about choosing what book you read. We're talking about basic common understanding of what skills should be developed. Um, In terms of looking at the impact, it's super tough to measure because ideally when you measure things, you want it to be implemented somewhere and not in this other place. And you see if the place that did it improved or not. Common Core was implemented almost everywhere Mm -hmm. all at the same time. Um, and so it's really tough to measure. There have been two studies trying to look at it, and basically what they looked at was we'll compare places that already had most of the Common Core elements in their local curriculum um, to places where it was more of a shift. So so then the question becomes, Maureen, it, it does seem to be a political football, but if the governor decides to do away with Common Core, if we don't know that what it's accomplished or that there is any measurable value to it, what are we losing by giving it up? Well, we're not really, I mean, I think all we're going to lose here is time and energy, frankly, that should go into how do we get Georgia kids to do better in reading and math. And this discussion about Common Core that he's going to do, which, of course, and and what he came out with was he's going to have three separate commissions. And, of course, when you put three separate commissions together on school standards, you just get a big bowl of mush. And and what are the the three commissions? What what is the division of labor? Is Is it math? It's, no, I think it's teachers, uh, isn't it, community? And I think and it's, she, yeah. it's it's three it's three different groups of people be working simultaneously. And I, I just think... It's not subject, it's right, people. Right, right, right. It's, it's expertise. And the thing is, if you look, that's how all the standards everywhere in the country, including the bad standards that we have, have had, they all came out of these committees. Georgia's had plenty of teacher committees reviewing. And in fact, Georgia teachers were at the table when Common Core was right. said. And I'm glad Jared gave an example, because Common Core is broad standards of what we want kids to do. You can teach them anything you want to get there. It's not curriculum. So I just think this is, I, I would just urge the governor, as an education writer and the parent of four children who went through Decatur, uh, to, to Georgia public schools uh, in the city of Decatur, focus on how we bring up math and reading across the board. Well, it's and, dro- and drop the Common Core name, because right. uh, this was in the AJC. There, there was a survey that found that 66% of people support the idea behind Common Core, as long as you don't say the words Common yeah. Core. You know, Mary Margaret, we, we don't like Obamacare, but the, the ACA is okay with us. <laughs> it's the same thing, basically. And when the Republicans found out that Obamacare was popular, now they have to go after Common Core. they got to find something else well, to tag again. It, it is a waste of time and energy, and that's what is the painful part yeah. about it. It, it never. Correct me if I'm wrong. Common Core never. I mean, it, it dealt with math and and reading and maybe science. It never went into the social uh, subjects, right? It, it didn't go into to history. It didn't go into uh, 
to to political science or those uh, those other topics? Yeah, we we have our own Georgia performance standards and uh, that that the govern those subjects. And I think you know what 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 our superintendent of schools is now uh, um, allied with the governor on this because Richard Woods says that there is um, these standards uh, have too much. There's too much content. And when I've talked to experts about it, they're puzzled at what at, you know what he means. That it really isn't content yeah. as much as it is a standard. So. Um, I really think this is um, a lot to do about nothing, and it doesn't cost any money, really, I guess. So it's it's something that uh, it is a diversion that will not be too painful. But I really think at the end, all we'll do is rename our math and reading something different, yeah. and we'll yeah. announce that Common Core has been banished. Yeah, well, we'll see how it proceeds. Um, Maureen, you wrote a column. I think it followed the 2018 uh, school year, I believe, saying graduation rates are up across the state a bit. It's It's incremental. But your column, you, you congratulated the schools for being able to increase their graduation rates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, let me just say one thing that I've learned with education. If you count something and you put a lot of attention on it, schools will put a lot of attention on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I do think schools when, when I began writing about education, you would go to visit a school and there'd be a kid sleeping in the back row and nobody really worried about that kid. You expected a certain amount of sleepers. You expected an amount of no shows. And I think what I've seen in the last 20 some years is that every kid matters more. Uh, that said, they're not succeeding with every kid, but I do think that there's more attention. And I actually think now schools are talking to kids in sophomore and freshman year of high school about what they need to do to get to graduation. You know, our next challenge will be we are graduating students, but are they really a college and career ready? Yeah. And by that, I mean college you know, the college majors that, that pay money, the STEM majors, are pretty demanding. Um, the jobs that pay well are pretty demanding. So I think we have to examine sort of what these kids are graduating with because they're going into a more competitive job market for the better-paying jobs. So just to, uh, Jim, j- just to put a number on this, um, Maureen's column uh, pointed out that in 2012, the graduation rate across the state was 69.7%. In 2018, it was 81.6%. Now, it only went up one percentage point between 2017 and 2018, but from 2012 to 2018, that's a big leap. Oh, yeah, and you see, you, you see, you see each governor come in with, with his own ideas of trying. I remember uh, uh, Sonny, one of Sonny's inventions were, was the graduation coach. Coach, right. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also a bit of a, a numbers game that's going on so what happened is they flipped how they required you to track students so um in 2012 they had to start tracking students based on when you who came in as a ninth grader and then you were responsible for that student's graduation up several years later so what part of this growth may be may be legitimate part of the growth is also picking up that if someone leaves now the school makes sure to know where they went so that they can keep their numbers there's is clearly a more consistent methodology about defining graduate where we have more confidence in the numbers. Uh, DeKalb County's graduation rate eked up, came up, uh, still below the state average. But one of the things that's going on is a negotiation about whether or not you count all, all or a greater number of the special education diplomas as graduation rate. So those little issues like that, well, really not so little if you have 10 percent of your population special ed, um, are, are, do reflect the attention that Maureen talked about. I'm aware South Forsyth High School, for instance, of a friend whose child was there, but was identified in his junior year, look, kid, we're going to offer you something that's really going to make sure you graduate. And they went into a totally separate program, totally personally designed for him. South Forsyth High School is a successful, very large. Decatur High School, with only 318, is a 96% rate of graduation. Uh, But I'm also aware that Decatur City Foundation identifies every child that's on the edge, and they Mm -hmm. have a specially designed. So the attention to every child is a very significant strength of our attention to graduation. I'm really interested, Maureen, in your observation, and it comes out of what what, uh, Mary Margaret was talking about. If you you really take all this care to get a, a kid ready for graduation, he graduates, then your measurement is the next one that matters so much. Are they college ready? Where are they headed next? And that's a very difficult standard to try. Isn't that a pretty difficult task? I mean, because it doesn't it depend on what the 
uh, uh, aspiration of a given student and his parents are where he ends. That's tricky, but as a parent, that would matter to me enormously. Well, that that's true. But what we can do is ask our colleges to give us yeah. a, to give us measures. And the colleges are being asked now, not simply to admit kids, uh, but to tell us where where they uh, where they are. Are they graduating? And you have Georgia State now, for example, which has pioneered a system that many other schools around the country are, are trying to use, which is that they have an automated system where flags go out if if a, a kid appears to be off uh, off base or off track. And that's that's something brand new because we used to think you're 18, you go to college, if you fail out, that's your problem and your parents, you know, money loss. And now we're seeing that there's a greater loss to, you know, the state as a whole. We need more college graduates, despite what everyone says. We still need more college graduates in Georgia. And so we're asking our publics, at least, public campuses, to really track these kids. Um, and also, we're changing the mode a little bit. We used to think an 18-year-old was an adult. They should navigate a campus. Yeah. Um, you know, Being a parent of kids at two public colleges, I can tell you the public <laughs> colleges are hard to navigate. Uh, I'm still waiting for callbacks a year later from some place. You know. I mean, it's not a simple system. So the schools need to recognize they need to do more to, to meet kids at least halfway. Let me let me ask you, Maureen and Sharon. What, uh, Maureen, you touched on it. Uh, what kind of tension is there between your 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 four year academic uh, education in a college and your your two three or four year uh, training in a technical college? Uh, there, there's you you seem to be be saying that we need more, despite emphasis on the on the technical areas. We still need more in the academic areas. We do. We have. We have. We will have uh, quite a few jobs that will require four-year degrees. I think education after high school is important, but I think we also have to look at what kind of education kids are getting. I just wrote recently, I was very surprised when I got the numbers from the Technical College of Georgia to see that we have like 13,000 men in HVAC and, you know, 100 women. I mean, the, the disparity of what female uh, uh, girls or women are going into in our technical colleges are going into uh, cosmetology and childcare. They're, they're not going into these higher paying fields. So I think we need to need to examine the, the technical colleges next as well. Yeah, and I think for the people who are choosing the academic route, questioning whether or not they're arriving, not needing remedial um, remedial courses. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's get our final break of the show out of the way. When we come back, Jared, I when I read some of your, you have a great blog, by the way. Maureen pointed you out to me in the first place, and it's because of Maureen we were glad to get you to come in here and talk about it. So I started reading your blog on education, and I've got to say, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but it's kind of a downer, chair. <laughs> we'll talk about the figures that you've been crunching that are, are not very optimistic, and we'll talk about what we do to turn that around. This is Political Rewind. JBB's fall fund drive begins soon, and with program costs on the rise and other sources of funding in question, your support now is that much more important. Please go to gpb.org to donate, and you'll also enter to win a St. Simons Island getaway for two, including a three-night oceanfront stay at the King and Prince Beach and Golf Resort. Relax on the beach, enjoy scrumptious meals, or play golf. Your support will also be part of our challenge fund to encourage others to join you in supporting GPB during the drive. That's gpb.org, and thanks. On the next Fresh Air, the CIA's secret experiments with LSD in the 50s and 60s in search of a drug that could be used to control the minds of enemies. Allen Ginsberg and Ken Kesey were introduced to LSD through the program, but other unwitting subjects in prisons and detention centers were subjected to psychological torture. We talk with journalist Stephen Kenzer, author of Poisoner-in-Chief. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org, or ask your smart speaker to play GPB. Welcome back to Political Rewind. We're talking about education across the state of Georgia, public education. Jim Galloway, of course, is here because it's Monday. He's with us on Mondays and Fridays. By the way, do you know what you're writing about for Wednesday yet? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm writing about the most crucial period in a farm farmer's uh, year. Oh, good. Which okay. kind of coincides with Iowa. Oh, all right. Good. Thank you, Farmer Jim. Uh, Mary Margaret Oliver is uh, with us, a state rep from Decatur. Uh, and so is uh, Maureen Downey, uh, the education writer for the AJC. What, what's your, what should people look for? What's up right now, your most recent uh, column? 
APS and the superintendent. Oh, oh well, I guess that would be right. <laughs> yeah, all right. And Jared Apperson, uh, who is an assistant pro- or associate professor of economics assistant. at Spelman. Huh? Assistant. Oh, I'm sorry. Assistant professor of economics at uh, Spelman College with a particular interest in uh, keeping track of data that uh, reveals a lot about what's happening in schools. Mile- Georgia Milestone, which is now the big test, right, uh, uh, to determine how students are performing. You had, in in your blog, Grading Atlanta, you looked at, what, the 2018 milestone figures and came to some pretty depressing conclusions. Share the point-by-point with us on this. Yeah, so um, I also updated it for 2019, but pretty much the conclusions didn't change too much. Um, First conclusion is that APS relative to the state has moved up a little bit, but not you know, hasn't much, not dramatically, a little bit has changed. Second um, thing that I have tried to look at is whether schools are more equitable, meaning um, regardless of where students come in, are they ending up with the same skills once we go to test them? And I'm seeing basically that both the story in APS has stayed consistent over the years and also that it matches the story of pretty much everywhere in the country and everywhere in Georgia, which is that almost all of the variation in school performance is explained by poverty Mm -hmm. and the percent of students living in poverty who attend that school. So 80% of the variation is explained by a single measure. You have another, if I can, I'm going to go through just a a couple of them as we run a little bit shorter on time. One of them is our charter operators beating the odds. And this is for APS. And you say KIPP, KIPP Academy, of course, and Drew Charter School out there uh, in Eastlake are, but the others aren't. And what's fascinating about that is... To some extent, Maureen, that's one of the things that people held against Maria Karstarfen. The board was unhappy with her really reaching out and getting more involved in charter schools. And according to Jared's figures, unless they were Kip and Drew, it may not have been doing that much for students in terms of achievement. But I think Jared also makes the point, and he can he can speak to this, that we may have not given these schools time. She brought in charter operators to her most struggling schools yeah. because she felt like let them let them concentrate on that because there's so many other schools that need my attention. Right. And um, so the the point that you're looking at is about charters and then related to that, but a little bit separate is partner schools. And so a partner school is different from a charter in that you don't apply to go. If you live in the neighborhood, you automatically get a seat at that school. And if you come in the middle of the year, you also get a seat. So um, KIPP operates one. Um, Purpose Built, which is connected to Drew, they operate um, three, and then Kendezi operates. So, the, one. The, but the, the Mary Margaret, he's looking at APS. But Jared made a point during the break. This you could look at this in a statewide from a statewide perspective because so much of it relates to poverty. Uh, as opposed to wealth. The statewide view is is about poverty, uh, in my view. But it's also true that in Fannin County, again, a school system I look at closely, uh, they don't have charter schools. They don't have enough children to... Uh, there's not a parent movement. I want something other than these good elementary schools that I've got close here. The charter movement, or the word charter, or designation, or theme, it now has a 15-year-plus history. And so I look at DeKalb County. Uh, the DeKalb School for the Arts is the number one school in DeKalb. It's a competition of... Uh, uh, try out to get in. It's incredibly popular. Uh, there, I don't think is indicia of poverty as an impact there. I think it's bright, successful children who are thrilled to have this uh, performing arts school. The uh, Refugee International School, which one of the early charter schools in DeKalb, sort of on the edge of my area, was in my area, based on various past districts, has been continued to be a popular, successful, different model charity mm. where 50% of the children Maureen's are nodding. You're nodding your way through this. So we have yeah. different models. And the confusion is that KIPP and Purposeful all relates to the uniqueness of Atlanta. Tom Cousins uh, is a unique leader for the East Lake community, which has changed dramatically uh, in terms of gentrification. But, but isn't that the point, Maureen, that... 
that DeCab, Decatur, DeCab does have a Tom Cousins, but uh, Appling County, uh, poorer counties and other parts, they don't have Tom Cousins to help them through. I mean, I think, you know, I always end my pieces when I write about this issue by pointing out that nine out of 10 kids in this state go to public school. Most of those kids go to the neighborhood public school down the street. And rather than trying to offer them tax scholarships or vouchers um, or charters that will not come to a, the charters won't come to Fannin anyway, right. for the most part, they can't make any exactly. real money there. Right. Uh, let's fix the schools that they're in. But that does require more money, yeah. which the legislature simply doesn't want to accept. Jim, we're, we're getting close to being out of time. You and I have watched uh, many sessions of the General Assembly, uh, starting with, I start with Joe Frank Harris, who made a big effort at some kind of education reform with Quality Basic Education Act. He was trying to, to eliminate the old vestiges of the SEG school system by finding a way to give some more money to those schools that were so poor. Then, then Zell Miller comes along. He, too, has a vision for what he wants education to be. And goodness knows Roy Barnes built on that vision. And after that, Sonny Purdue had a reform plan. Most of it seemed to me was throwing out what Roy Barnes had done. After Barnes, it, it f- feels to me like those big, bold ideas about education sort of started to fade and become much more niche kinds of issues. And it's, it, it's, and it's also important to note that that in the democratic world, teachers are, a, were, are, are still a very powerful force, not so much on the Republican side. So they're not it's it's you don't have that that uh, that that exp, that built in expertise. I mean, you've got lawmaker after lawmaker who is willing to go up to the to the podium and say it's for the cheering you know yeah. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to when it, but as Maureen said when it comes to actual money no uh, that's they draw the line there Maureen um, how hopeful can parents across the state listening to the show be about whether or not they, in, in the 10 years if eight years the five years to come there's going to be significant improvement for their schools their children are attending I, I know that's asking a lot of you but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of optimism you know I, I don't think there is a lot of optimism because I think right now the Republican leadership is spending a foolish time on on uh, you know common core which is you know simply an you know sort of an empty suit on the stage to 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 appease some people however you know what it comes down to though is I do think education comes down to the teacher in the classroom and I actually believe that the schools of education there's been, we haven't talked about it, but there's been pressure on them to improve what they're doing as well. And I'm often heartened by the young teachers I meet. And I think, um, you know, Jared teaches young women, some of whom want to go into to education. I think we have folks there with an interest. So I'm hopeful that good school leaders make a difference. Individual. We're really out of time. you got about 20 seconds. What Maureen's saying an important thing. It's the teacher in front of your children who can make the it's difference. It's the teacher in front of your children who is supported by the parents and supported by the leadership. The teacher's commitment to every child is, is the center of success. All right. Jared, final word from you. You optimistic? I'm optimistic. I think that we have to realize that we're only going to make small changes and it's going to take a long time for those small changes to add up. But I think there's definitely some things that we can do to make incremental improvement. Um, Jared Apperson, Maureen Downey, Mary Margaret Oliver, Jim Galloway, thank you for for me. I, I really enjoyed hearing what you all had to say, your observations about where we stand right now in education across the state of Georgia. Uh, tomorrow we're back to our standard format. We're going to look at a variety of issues in uh, political news in the state. So I hope you'll come back with us uh, tomorrow at 2 o'clock. I hope to see you then. when information continues to come at us faster and faster. Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.